good morning. Good morning. I, uh, this morning we are going to be uh, looking at First John three eleven through eighteen. Um, as we come into this text this morning, uh, John basically concluded his last section and introduced this section in uh, in uh, verse ten when he said, "By uh, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest," and he made the point that there are. Two families on the earth. There are those who are related to God by the new birth, and there are those who are related to Satan by the fact that they haven't been born again. Uh, and and then he is going to go on, and he's going to give some distinguished, he gives a couple of generalized, uh, distinctive marks about who the children of Satan are, the children of the devil are. He says, he basically says, Everyone who does not do righteousness is not of God. That's the first statement. Those who do not do righteousness, and and there is no righteousness apart from being in Christ. Uh, Good works don't count for anything apart from being in Christ. They're, They're a result of salvation, not a means. And, and then he goes on from there and he says, and he says, and the one who does not love his brother. Uh, that's the that's the second mark. He gives those those two marks. And what he's going to do now as we as we move into uh, into this uh, this section is he is and actually the rest of chapter three. He's going to talk about love of the brethren. Uh, he's going to talk about it in some negative terms as related to the family of Satan, and he's going to talk about it in some positive returns, uh, uh, positive um, uh, terms as related to to those who are in Christ, those his little children, the beloved, uh, uh, those 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 who are in Christ. He is going to he's going to once again. But the subject matter, the real focus here is love, even though there are some negatives uh, that he's going to bring into this. He uses, and of course, once again, as we go through this, he's kind of hard to outline, you know, because he starts talking about the negative and throws a positive right in the middle of it, you know, and then he starts talking about the positive and throws a negative right in the middle of it. So take that for what it will with my outline titles. Uh, But at any rate, at any rate, uh, uh, with John, everything is black and white. It's this or it's that. Uh, he doesn't talk about any middle ground here. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he basically says, you either are or you aren't. Uh, that's, that's, pretty much, uh, that's pretty much John's view and the way he takes things. So that's, uh, that's where we're going to be going as we go through 11 through 18 this morning. We're going we're gonna to talk about, we're gonna talk about uh, uh, those marks of those who are who are of the devil and that and he has one big word for them it's hate and then he has one word for the children of god and it's love and it's basically on the turn agape it's a self-sacrificing love so uh those are those are the uh those are the two uh, areas we'll be looking at as we move through the text this morning are there any specific prayer requests this morning before we get started so as we as we come into the text this morning and we we come into verse 11, John is first going to state the standard. Uh, this is the standard by which God evaluates, I, I guess you could say, in, in, a, in a very real sense. And it, and it only applies to the saved, ultimately, as, as is clear here. Uh, but he, he begins here and he says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 
He just makes this flat out statement. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. It's the same idea that he used in in chapter two, verse uh, verse seven, where he said, behold, I'm not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment. That's what you heard from the beginning. And and uh, in that case, he's saying that we should walk as he walked. That's the commandment he talks about there. And he and he moves on and he talks about the contrast between light and dark. The idea of beginning here is not. Genesis 1.1, the idea of beginning here is when you came to faith in Christ. So for each one of us, that beginning has a different date. Uh, but it's the beginning. It's the beginning of your sojourn with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, ultimately, that's ultimately what he's saying here. It's that beginning. It's the beginning when you heard and received the gospel. That's the beginning he's talk about. Uh, talk about. And, what, and in fact, what he's saying here is from the moment the gospel was conceived, this has been true. And it became true in you the minute you received it. That's that's the idea he's 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 expressing he's expressing here, and he says he he says he says and this is the message here's what you heard this is what the message was it's that you should love one another this is the fundamental mark of Christianity uh, that believers love one another now unfortunately that's not always been expressed very well but it doesn't change the fact that that is the standard that's the standard that is to be uh, that is to be uh, uh, that is to be uh, uh, to be upheld within Christianity in fact this standard is found throughout the entire New Testament it's it's everywhere in the New Testament it's first of all a command of Jesus in John chapter 13. Uh, excuse me, verses 33 through 34, where, where he writes, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You seek me, and I say to, uh, and I, and as I said to the Jews, now I am saying to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's, he's, we're moving to the crucifixion. This is after, this is after the uh, Lord's Supper. This is after the foot washing. This is after the where he betray, where he predicts his betrayal, and and he and he and he is now talking to his to his his uh, disciples, and he says to them, "A new commandment I give to you: that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you would also love one another." By this. All will know that you are my disciples if you will have, if you love one another. It's the mark of Christianity. It's the mark Jesus said, I put on you. This is what I command. This is what I demand of you. You want to follow me? This is what you do. This, this, is, this is a primary fundamental uh, thing that you do, that you do. You love one another. That's, that's what he's telling them here. Uh, Paul emphasized this in Romans 5 5. He says, This love is poured out by the Holy Spirit. That's the source of this love. The indwelling Holy Spirit in you. It's not natural. It, it, comes, it, it becomes natural because God indwells you through His Holy Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5 22 through 23, it's the first, the first item named in the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, this is how we see the Spirit in believers. They love. Uh, in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians four nine, <clears throat> Paul said of the Thessalonians that that they were taught to love by God. 
God himself taught them how to love. And that's true of all believers. This is instilled, and in this case, it's still through the Holy Spirit, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the idea here. Uh, in Peter, first, Peter, Peter said, wrote in 1 Peter one twenty two uh, that by showing, in other words, by demonstrating obedience and purity, we show a fervent love. These are the these are the the concepts that run through the New Testament about this love. It's a God given love. It, it doesn't originate anywhere else. It can't originate anywhere else. It isn't something we conjure up from within. It's something God put within. Is the idea that He's wanting us to understand in Second John two six. John will write. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is a commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. In other words, love, love is demonstrated in keeping commandments as well. It's, 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 it's demonstrated in doing God's will. It's demonstrated in being godly. It's demonstrated in showing the world the righteousness of Jesus Christ. John is telling his readers, parentheses, us... Uh, to hold on to the teaching of the gospel and not let it be led astray as, as, as they're warned in Jude chapter 3. They're hold fast to those first teachings of the gospel that you first heard in the gospel. Uh, that, that's what he's wanting them to understand here. This is, this is the message that has always been from the beginning. The mark of Christianity is we care about one another. We love one another. And we demonstrate it by being obedient. Then he goes to the negative, and he goes, and now he's going to demonstrate what love is not. And he's going to demonstrate how the children of Satan behave, and he, and he picks one example. Incidentally, this is the only reference in 1 John from the Old Testament. There's no other Old Testament references in 1 John, only this one. And, and he picks the first murderer. He picks Cain. And he, and he says here, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for this reason did he slew him, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, there's some interesting thoughts that flow through this. Here he's, he's contrasting uh, those who are the children of Satan. He says, of the evil one in this one. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the devil there. And he says, they're marked by hate. And he takes this example of the first murderer, the, the first homicide, actually fratricides, because he killed his brother. Uh, and, 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 he goes, and he says that we're not to be like that. We're not to be like Cain. Uh, Cain is the negative example here. He says, we're not to be like him. He said, who was evil and slew, uh, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Uh, the setting is Genesis chapter 4. You're probably familiar uh, with what happened here. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again she gave birth to another, uh, to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, and, and Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part, on his 
his part uh, of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portion. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why why is your countenance fallen? You will do well, uh, you, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is lying at the door and it's desire for you, but you must rule over it. And then Cain spoke to his brother, and it happened that while they were in the field, that Cain rose up against, against uh, Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then, of course, it goes on. Yahweh asked Cain, where is your brother? And he asked, if I am my brother's keeper? Incidentally, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, but, uh, uh, but at any rate, in this text, we have some interesting things here. Uh, he emphasizes the point in Genesis 4.8 that he slew his brother. The Hebrew word here is is hagan, and it it is used to, to to it's translated. It's a generalized term that's used in the Old Testament a, a bunch of times. I, I didn't count them, but it's a long list, and, and it's translated smite, slay, slayer, destroy, destroyer, kill, killer, murder, murderer, and slaughter. It's used both of men and animals. Uh, uh, and it's also used for judicial execution. The word is used in all of these ways. The interesting thing about this word in, in, in Hebrew, like I said, it's a generalized word, to meaning, meaning to kill, uh, to kill, to slaughter, to slew, uh, uh, to, to murder. All those, all those are accurate translations of the Hebrew word. The Greek word, shafaz, is to birch, butcher or to slaughter. That's, that's what the word means. Uh, it's used of animals killed in sacrifice. In the LXX, in, Alexis, um, in, uh, in Leviticus, I started to say lexicus. Anyway, anyway in Leviticus uh, 1.5, uh, that's how the word is used there. It's used as sacrificing an animal. Uh, to 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 slaughter it. Uh, in other words, in Genesis three twenty one, it's used of God's killing of an animal to make the covering uh, for Adam and Eve. Incidentally, that's an interesting picture. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the picture that we have at the gates of Eden is two angels with flaming swords sitting wingtip to wingtip with a bloody sacrifice between them. It's the mercy seat. That's that's the picture that you have. That's the picture that you have. But it's meaning those those ideas. So so the idea here, the idea uh, that's being expressed here is kind of interesting, and it has some interesting implications. Although it doesn't specifically say this, what it's saying is Abel, or uh, excuse me, Cain cut Abel's throat. That's what it's saying. He cut his throat. He sacrificed him like an animal. What he didn't do that God would have accepted. That's that's what this is saying here. It's it's a it's a it's a horrific picture. Uh, is is what's being 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 uh, being said here. 
he made him his sacrifice. In other words, may may be what it's saying here. Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate. We're not going to go into that today as to to why God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. You know, it's the works of his hands versus a blood sacrifice. That's probably the primary thought that most people carry with it. There's one guy that there's one guy that said uh, that God. This is an interest. This is an interesting one. This is just how goofy some theologians get. So I throw it in just to laugh at, really. But uh, there's one guy that he claimed that this sacrifice problem was that God liked shepherds, but he didn't like farmers. <laughs> now Adam and Eve were created to be farmers, and he said it was very good. So you know, it's just kind of blown. But just. You needed a laugh amongst all this slaughter, I think. Uh, but any, at any rate, at any rate, uh, Hebrews eleven four says that 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 Abel speaks to us even today. Uh, the, the, that he was honorable before God is the, is the the idea here. And, and he, go, he goes on here, and he says he, he demonstrates. Uh, he demonstrates, Cain that is, demonstrates that he was truly of the evil one, Satan. Uh, he was a child of the devil is the idea here. Evil one is a, is a really interesting word because we use evil in all kinds of ways. But this specific word has a specific indication to the evil. It says that it's an evil that is aggressive, that's fervent, and its desire is to pull others down. That's the picture here. That, that's the picture here. Is 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 it wants to pull others down. It aggressively and fervently goes about the work of destroying other people. That's that's the evil uh, that is spoken of in this in this in this verse. And he and he goes on to say why he says because his deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. In other words, there was a jealousy. Uh, there was this, uh, a rivalry here with his brother. And he basically, basically, was not, his wasn't accepted. And the indication is that really that, that Cain just really didn't care. He just did it because he thought he should. Uh, whereas Abel did. Abel, Abel righteously became before God. Whereas Cain just kind of was playing at it. Is kind of the idea, and as a result, he became infuriated. Uh, he, he was, in, you know, the real person he was infuriated with was God Almighty, but he obviously couldn't do anything to him, so he did it to his brother. That's that's the idea here. He, he was just jealous. Evil describes Satan by John in First John. It's used in it's used in two thirteen fourteen three twelve. 518 and 19 the term is always applied to satan this this particular term righteous is a term that refers to those that refers to christ it's used in 19 to 129 and 337 so so that that's the idea here is we have one who was righteous before god and one who was sinful before god or evil so he goes on from there. He goes on from there, having given the example, and he tells us, don't be like this. This is not the way to conduct yourself. This is not the way uh, to, uh, to direct your life. I think it's kind of interesting. I'm kind of a fan of action movies. 
You know, and the theme of every action movie is revenge. <laughs> you know, it's Kanish, every one of them. <laughs> you know, but anyway, at any rate, he, he says, don't be like that. Just do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. He takes a little pause here and he goes, he goes, now understand something here. There's two families in the world. He's already told us that. There's, there's God's family and there's Satan's family. Don't be surprised when the world, in this case it means the world system controlled by Satan, when the world system hates you. Don't be surprised. Actually, it says stop being surprised. In other words, why are you even bothering being surprised? It's just the normal course of things. This is the way it is, the world we live in. It's not going to like you. It didn't like your Lord. Why would it like you? That's, that's the issue here. Don't be surprised at this. That's, that's, that's what he's telling him. Don't marvel if the world hates you. Stop marveling, really, that the world hates you. And then he says, brothers. It's kind of interesting that John in this section always includes himself. He doesn't use the word beloved or he doesn't use little little children. Here he, here he uses brothers. He's one of the brethren. He's, this is true of all of us. Obviously, John wasn't very well liked. Caesar sent him off to Patmos and exiled him. God had other plans for him. He wrote a really, a really important book. Revelation, uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, that's the point here. The world hates us. Uh, it, it hates us. Are hated by the world. It's it's, it, and it has different levels. Obviously, there are those who there are those who live in countries where there are where they are actively persecuted. Incidentally, if you pay any attention to what's going on in the world today, that's coming more and more toward us in this country. Uh, we, we have a world that hates us, and, and there are political people on both parties that would like to see us go away. Uh, you know, uh, they really would, they, they, because we, part, we point out their error. You know, that's, that's the problem. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He's saying here it's the normal pattern for the children of Satan to hate the children of God. That's a normal pattern. It shouldn't surprise you. You shouldn't be surprised by this. You should expect it, in fact, is is the idea here. When I was uh, when I was in seminary, I think I told you this before, but maybe not all of you. Uh, but it, when I was in seminary, there was a uh, there was an opportunity that we had that uh, a man came to speak to the seminary. Well, he came to speak to the seminary through a translator because he was Russian. Uh, but his name was Gorgie Vins. And Gorgie Vins was a pastor in the underground Baptist church in Russia who was imprisoned for 20 years in Siberia. His crime was preaching the gospel. Um, he um, he was released under the Carter plan with Russia, where they got where they released dissidents. You know, in other words, according to Russia, a preacher of the gospel is a dissident. That's the way the world's. That's a good way to understand how the world sees you. And we were we were asking him questions through the translator, and we said, "Well, how does a church survive when they put the leaders in jail?" And he basically said. When one of us goes to jail, the next guy in line stands up. That's, that's what he said. The next guy in line takes the pulpit. 
That's how it survived. And he said, and the church takes care of our family. And we know they will. They let him go because after 20 years in Siberia, he had very serious heart disease. And they didn't want him to die a martyr in Russia, so they sent him to America. Uh, but, but that's the picture of what the world is like toward Christians. That's just a guy I had the privilege of getting to meet for an hour or so one day. Uh, but at any, rate, at any rate, he goes on. And then in verse 14... He says, don't be surprised the world hates you. He says, we know that we are past, that we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. The one who does not, uh, does not love abides in death. So, so here he, here he is, he is, he is making this point. He says, he goes, here's a, here's a word of reassurance. Uh, here's a word of reassurance for you. Uh, he says, he says, we know, uh, this is a, this is a fact that you should have ingrained in your brain. This is, should be a part of your being. Uh, you, this is an assurance that you know if you are in Jesus Christ, these words are true of you. Is, is basically what he's saying here. We know that we have passed out of death into life. It's kind of an interesting statement. He says, we have passed. We have passed out of death into life. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, there it is. All of my all of my references came within an area for my tags in my Bible to be about that far apart, mm-hmm. so I'm having trouble finding them. <laughs> anyway, Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to. The According to the course of this world, according to the rulers of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the sons of Satan, he says, among whom you formerly conducted, uh, among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God, but God. Rich and rich, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the age to come he might show the surpassing riches of his of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, it goes in for by grace are you saved. This, this is that passage. This is what he's saying. This is what John is talking about here. We have passed out of death. We all once operated in the, in the, in the area of children of Satan, but God pulled us out of that. He took us out of that course of death unto life. That, that's, what he, that's what he's telling us here in this, in this text. And he says... And he says, and as we, and because we love the brethren, he goes on to say, uh, we pass out of life because we love the brethren, which is the mark that we are saved. That, that's the idea here. That's the mark. And then he goes on and he says, he says, the one who does not abide in love abides in death. And I kind of silly thought that popped into my head was, here is the text that talks about who the real walking dead are. It's not some silly TV movie with a bunch of zombies. It's everybody who is not in Christ. They are walking dead men. That's what this text says. They live in death. 
That's 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 the idea here. The one who does not abide in death, uh, abide in uh, the one who does not love abides in death means he's at home dead, literally. And, of course, it's talking about spiritual death. There is no spiritual life in this individual. There is no connection with God. No matter how good in the world's eyes he may be, he doesn't know God. He's apart from God. He has no life in him from God. His destiny is secure in eternal punishment. That's 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 the picture that he's... he's, he, he's, uh, he's and he's marked by hate. That's the idea. He, he, he says, for the uh, love for the brethren is the mark of spiritual life. Hatred is the mark of spiritual death. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, it's very cut and dried. Obviously, there are those people, uh, the doctrine of total depravity does not mean that every man on the face of the earth who is not saved is as bad as he could ever be. That's not what it means. It means his his entire being is fallen. It's corrupted. And it continues to corrupt. Uh, That's that's what total depravity means. It means that they are mentally fallen. They are physically fallen. Genetically fallen. Everything about them is fallen. That's true of this body you're still in. That's why you're going to be translated into a body like Jesus Christ one day, one fit for heaven. Uh, This one is no longer fit that way because it has fallen. But the unsaved man remains in that state. He remains in a state of spiritual death. That's that's what John is emphasizing here. That's where he remains. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's who the believer is. That's who the believer is. That's what John is wanting them to realize. In verse 15, John just makes a black and white statement with no middle ground whatsoever. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Uh, Here's the picture here. He He says, basically... Basically what he's saying, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. All the children of Satan fall in the category of being murderers. That's, that's what John is saying. That's, that's the idea that he's, he's putting here. He, he, he just puts it, um, Cain was the first, and they all follow suit, is the idea here. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, Cain's oldest son, Lamech, he not only became a murderer, he became a multi-murderer. And it, and it just flows through that line from there on. You know, the, the children of Satan. That, that's the idea here. Uh, and that's what he's wanting us to understand. Here, all who hate his fellow man is a murderer. Hate does not allow... Uh, hate does not always lead to actual homicide. You, you need to understand that. It doesn't lead to every, every non-believer isn't going to kill somebody. That's not what this text is saying. Uh, but it's basically saying, and we'll, we'll kind of expand on that here in a minute, uh, that he has that potential, and he actually, in the eyes of God, is guilty of, of being a murderer. Uh, Calvin wrote, if you wish an evil... To happen 
if, if we wish an evil to happen to our brother from someone else, we are murderers. You know, you ever wished somebody was dead? <laughs> you know, has that thought ever entered your head? <laughs> Basically, yeah, it has, to be honest. You know it has. Uh, if that thought has entered your head, guess what? You're a murderer. That, that's 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 the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Uh, that's that's what he's saying here. We didn't go. It hasn't been very long since we went through this text, uh, Matthew five, verse twenty-one. Oops. You've heard that the ancients were told, "You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be guilty before the court." This means physical murder that you actually killed somebody. Uh, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Basically, just cursing your fellow man. In your mind, you've killed him. And, it's, and you're guilty before God. That's what he's saying here. That's what Jesus is saying. He's, going, he's basically saying, the children of Satan, this is the way they live. They're murderers. They, they would murder on and on and on, and some actually do. Uh, that's the idea here. Jesus, uh, Jesus and John uh, eight forty four, speaking of Satan uh, and uh, who marks who is the head of the this evil family says that he was a murderer from beginning and the father of lies. In other words, it's uh, the children of Satan follow their parentage. That's that's the idea uh, that he's that he's expressing here. He makes a statement of fact here. He says, no murderer has eternal life abiding uh, in him. Basically, the idea here is don't misunderstand. This, this is not Catholic theology that uh, murder is one of those sins that falls in the category that you can't be, conv- can't be forgiven and, and, uh, uh, and you're condemned to eternal hell. If that was true, guess where Paul would be? You know, Paul, Paul stood as the authority over the execution of Stephen. You know, uh, but yet he repented. The point here is unrepentant sinners stand guilty of murder. There is no forgiveness. That's 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 what he's that's what he's wanting them to understand. They are eternally lost. Death is at home in them. That's where they live. That's where they live. In other words, they're just waiting execution. They're on death row is, is kind of the idea here. John changes tune now. He, he moves on to talk about the children, the children of God in, verses, in verse 16. I hope you are all praying that they get the air conditioner installed soon. I am dying up here. But anyway, anyway verse 16. I let it blow out there too, though. Well, it doesn't need a free cast. Okay. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here's a demonstration of love. Love is self-sacrificing. That's ultimately what this text is saying. He's saying, by this we know love. This phrase marks 
a trait of a believer. Uh, the gospel is all t- um, is is excuse me has taught us, which includes John, all believers, uh, that we know love. That's what he's saying. We know what love is. We have we've had love explained to us. Know is a word here that means that we have come to know and still know. It's something that as a believer you learned and you and it and it resides within you. That's that's this word know. This isn't something. Oh yeah, I know that. This is ingrained. Is the idea. This is something that is ingrained in a believer. Uh, that's 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 what he's saying here. And love is a form of agape. Uh, um, it it um, the way it's the way it's phrased in the text. This thing called love. <laughs> That's really the way it, it comes across. Sounds like the na- the title of a song. Yeah. Uh, but but we have come to know this thing called love. That's 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 what he's saying here. Yeah, I got you singing it in your head now, don't I? Anyway, <laughs> I've lost her completely now. <laughs> but at any rate, at any rate, we've come to know this thing called love. And, and it basically, it is talking about the self-sacrificing love. That's what it's talking about. A love that is willing, that is an act of the will, acts on behalf of another. That's, 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 what, this, that's what this is talking about here. <clears throat> and then he goes on and he says, here is the ultimate demonstration of his, this, is, is that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Jesus died in order that we might be born again into the family of God. That's that's the idea. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. That's 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 the idea. That's the ultimate expression. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that every believer is supposed to die for somebody else. If that was so, there wouldn't be any of us left. Um, You know, uh, what it means is we live a life of sacrifice. We live a life that is willing to give on behalf of someone else. I, I if I can just digress for a minute, when when Kathy and I first started coming to this church of course you know we were we had been at Grace Community Church of Bakersfield which had come which had run its course and it had come to its end and I got tasked with the job of shutting it down so until that happened I didn't want to become a member here but we attended the evening service while we were in the process and once we once we sold the property and closed the doors we joined here but one of the things I did I I pretty well knew I was coming here be, primarily because I knew who Steve was, you know, and also for me, this is an alumni association meeting every, every Sunday. Uh, but, but, at any, but at any rate, at any rate, one of the things that I did, and I, I just want to tell you this because this is impressive and it impressed me. And I've got 45 years of church experience and probably 35 better years of church leadership behind me. When, when I came here, I looked at your financial statement. Financial statements tell you a lot about a church. And uh, what I saw was most churches, when they start a building program, this, this is almost automatic. And I've been in a couple of building programs, and it happened in, both, in them. 20% of the general income gets deflected to the building program. In other words, the guy that was giving $100, he deflects $20 of it to the building program and gives 80 to the general fund. The general fund doesn't go down during a building program. So I kind of looked at your financial statement to see what you guys did. 
during with this generosity. I never say it right. Joyful, joy. Joyful generosity. I'll get it right one day. Anyway, at any rate, looking at that and looking at we had COVID and you suspended the program. You guys gave more than you promised. And the building and the general fund did not go down. I, I said to Kathy back then, I said, this is a fellowship I want to be a part of because these people are serious. They sacrifice for the cause of Christ. That's what this is calling us to do. That's what this is calling us to do. Uh, and that's a powerful statement. Uh, I, I just want you to know that. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. Greater love has this, that, that, that no one would, would lay down their life ex- even for a friend. But Christ laid down his life for us. And we as believers are to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the proclamation of the gospel. That is, that's what it's supposed to be. Love is seen as an affirming mark of the true believer, a willing to give up everything to help another. Very rarely are any of us called to give up everything. But are you willing to give up some things? Is the idea here. And, and keep in mind that, that Christ's sacrifice was not passive. It was an active event. It was purposeful. It was planned. It wasn't like an animal being taken to the altar that didn't have a clue what was going on. He knew. It was an active, it was an active, purposeful sacrifice. John 3.16. It was eternally planned by God. That's, that's the amazing thing here. Guthrie in his New Testament theology wrote, the voluntary act was in the interest was not in the excuse me was not in the interest of personal heroism but because of the di- dynamic because of the dynamic love he knew that it was for this purpose that he had come into the world philippians chapter 2 i'm sure you most of you are probably familiar with this chapter therefore if there is any encouragement in christ verse 1 if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of of the spirit if any affection and compassion fulfill my joy that that you think the same way by maintaining the same love being united in the spirit thinking on one purpose doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves not li- merely looking out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others have this way of thinking in yourselves which is also in G- uh, in Christ Jesus who though existed in the form of God did not did not regard equality with God a thing to be a grasp but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave being made in the likeness of man being found in the in the appearance of man he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross that's 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 what he's saying here Uh, this is the sacrificial love uh, that we are that we are called to and he and then he goes on and he says we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers this word ought doesn't mean it would be a good idea it means what it means is it means it's a moral responsibility that's the construction here. It's a moral responsibility. As believers, we have a moral responsibility to one another, 
to caring for one another. That's 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 what he's that's what he's saying here. He says that Jesus gave his all for us and we should be willing to go up to that point as well. That's 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 what he's saying. Now, we realize that, of course, Jesus' death provided atonement. Ours will not. You need to understand that. That's, we don't, but it demonstrates our love for him. If, if you're called to martyr, to be martyred, it demonstrates, it, it demonstrates your love for him. Verse 17, though, now makes it a little more practical. Uh, here's, the, here's the absolute verse 16. Here's the, the grand scheme of things. Here's the, the, the absolute pinnacle of what could be called, called to. But here's the normal of what you may be called to in verse 17. But whoever has the world's good and sees his, brothers, his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Here's what he's saying now. Let's make it practical. Not everyone is going to be called to be a martyr. Not everyone is going to be expected to lay down his life for the cause of the gospel. Not everyone is going to be expected to lay down his life in love to protect his brethren. But you all, from time to time, may be called upon to give up something. You may be called upon to do something for someone else, for another brother. That's what he's saying here. Uh, that's what the verse is, is saying here. He, he, he's saying uh, the truth of, of, of an actual relationship is seen in how we respond to need. That's what he's saying. But whoever has the world good, he, he, he moves from the extre- extreme uh, to the normal of life, the giving of some possession, whatever it may be, whether it's food, clothing, money, whatever, whatever it is. The world's good, the idea of things of material value in this world. That's what it's talking about here. That's, that's what it's saying. You come in and meet a physical need. That's, that's what it's saying here. And he sees his brother in need. John really doesn't complete that sentence. He just kind of leaves it there. You see your brother in need. He, he just says, that's, that's where we are. Your, your brother's in need. <clears throat> but the, the idea is you move to help. He says he sees his brother in need, and then because he's going to go to the negative after that, uh, John, uh, James chapter two verses fifteen, fifteen through seventeen. James wrote this: If a brother or sister is without clothing and in, in need of daily food, and one says to them, "Go in peace and be warmed and be filled," and yet does not give them necessities of their body, what use is it? So even faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. And this is not talking about work salvation. It's saying salvation will work. Salvation will reach out to to his brother. That's what he's saying here. Because John goes on and basically says the same thing when he says, and he closes his heart against him. Uh, Literally, this verse is kind of interesting. It says he slams the door of compassion in his face. That's what the Greek text says. You see your brother in need and you go, oh, that's nice. God bless you. Bam. That's, that's, that's what this verse says. That's what this verse says. He says, he says, he, he says, he says, that individual, the love of God doesn't abide in him. 
God doesn't slam the door of compassion in your face. And he expects you not to do to do it to your brother. He says he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't do that is the idea. In fact, if you want to see a, a practical uh, outpouring in the New Testament era of, of what is being spoken of here as far as helping out a brother, Second uh, Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we're not going to go there and read those whole chapters, but they're all about the offering that Paul collected for the Jerusalem church that was basically starving. And, and, and what went on there? The Corinthians had promised to give a whole bunch of money. They were wealthy. They just hadn't acted upon their promise. They hadn't done what they were supposed to do. And Paul kind of shames them by, by showing what the churches of Asia Minor had done, who were broke and gave, kind of like you guys did during generous... I forgot. I already did it wrong. Joyful generosity. I'll get it right one day. Anyway, kind of like that. They gave over and above what they even had. I mean, they had, to, they had to take a lot to do what they did. And Paul uses that to kind of really shame the Corinthians into keeping their promise. But th- that's the idea here. That's, that's, that's what he's talking about here. He says, how does the love of God abide in somebody like that? How does the love of God abide in somebody who just says, well, God bless you and slams the door in their face. How does, how does that happen? How does that, how does that connect with the Jesus who went to the cross to save you? How do those two things connect with one another? And basically, John is saying they don't. He says the love of God is not at home in this guy. In the hour of need, it's the practical that is going to show the truth of how much we love. That's that's what that's what John is that's what John is saying to them here. James said in verse sixteen, "Go in peace and be warmed and filled." And basically goes on to say, "What use is that? It's insufficient." That's that's what he's saying here, and does nothing to act upon it. And he's basically saying. God's love is not resident in that person. John 4, 1 John 4.20. John will get to this in, in a while. says, if someone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. That's what he's saying here. Your brother whom you know and you slam the door in his face... You don't know God. That's what he's saying. Verse 18 summarizes the section, and he says, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, let us not love, in de- love, in love by just saying fancy words. Don't, don't say, warm and be filled. God bless you. Slam the door. That's, that's no good. He says, but, but let, it be, let it be done in truth. Uh, let your deeds show who you are. That's what he's saying here. Demonstrate your love. That's what he's calling them to do. And he's, he's saying, if you have the world's means, use them to meet the need of the brother in distress. He's not saying the words of comfort aren't important because they are. I, I, uh, I, 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 I'm not good at this. But I certainly appreciate the people who are. 
that write these cards of encouragement. You know, you get those, whether you're sick or some other reason, or every once in a while I've got one from somebody over, over, uh, over uh, you know, the teaching ministry or something, and it just, it brightens your day, and, and usually they come at a time when I'm stuck on a passage and I'm like, I want to give up, and I get one of these cards and I read it, and I go, no, got to get back to work, you know. That's, 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 that's the way it is. They're not saying those are not empty things. Those are important things. But when someone is in physical need, comforting words help. But something to comfort the real need also helps. And that's what, that's what God is calling us to here. That's what he's calling us to. Acts chapter 2. Peter has uh, just finished his sermon, resulting in 3,000 people coming to faith in, in Christ. <clears throat> and it's just before he's going to, just before they're going to heal, uh, Peter and John are going to be going up to the temple and, and heal, uh, heal a, a lame beggar. And in, in, in the middle of all of that, there is a section uh, that, that talks, uh, verse 42 says, And they were continuing, uh, uh, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer, which basically defines a worship service. <laughs> and, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed came together and had all things in common. And they, were, and, and they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing up things with all as everyone might have need and daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house and the taking of their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily as they were being saved. This was not the definition of a communist commune. It basically was the demonstration of the love of God in the hearts of these people, because what had happened in Jerusalem, it was Pentecost. Pentecost is when all Jews from all over the empire came to Jerusalem. Many of those people had gotten saved. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem. They couldn't go home. They had no, they had no work. They had no, no income. And the people in Jerusalem who had property, who had income, who had the ability, shared it together to keep everybody fed and housed and clothed. That's, that's the picture here. It was the practical outpouring of love for one another. Why? Because they had gotten saved. That's why. Any comments or questions this morning? Okay. Let's, let's pray and close. Father God, we thank you this morning for the time we've had in this text. And Father, we, uh, we just thank you uh, in fact, those words are nowhere sufficient for what we, for the gratitude that we need to express. Uh, but here you have told us how to express the gratitude uh, for the love you've shown to us uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all that he did on our behalf when we were of no value, you made us valuable in your eyes. Because you loved us. And Lord, may we now demonstrate that love in our actions. In our words too, but in our actions as well. May it be a very practical faith that we have. 
that reaches out to help others in time of need. And Lord, we just ask that that would be true of all of us. And I know that it is largely true of this assembly, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for being a part of a people that are, are truly loving you in very practical and and, and honest ways. And we would just thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.